How many of you uh, have a Twitter account? Okay. I started to get one this week because I, I saw this uh, explanation someone has, and I'll share with you more of it. And I started down that path. I downloaded the app, and then it started asking me questions that I didn't necessarily want to. You know, I, I'm not one who stays off the grid, but I don't like making too loud of a blip there. So uh, I, I chose not to do it, and I'm not uh, making fun or, or uh, you know, detracting anyone who has it because I'm sure it's a great thing. But those of you who are familiar with um, the idea that we started in January, this kind of theme for the year of with, that we are with God, that we are with others, and that we are with a mission, comes from a book by Sky, S-K-Y-E, Jethani. J-E-T-H-A-N-I, I think is how he spells it. He wrote this book about with and, and basically how we look at the different ways that we access God and that we are to be with him, not over him, not under him, but we are to be with him. So that's where we spun that off. And, and uh, Dan and Pierce and I were at a conference last November and we came back and said, hey, this can work for us and, and take that as good handles on how we are to be involved with one another with God and, and on a mission. So uh, when I stumbled across his explanation of why he does not Twitter, it worked in well to uh, the text we have today. He used the movie, and of course he had me at hello, he had me at a movie, he used the movie that I have seen I think once, uh, Shall We Dance? Uh, Susan Sarandon, this is like a 20 year old movie, don't go home and watch it, and I started to play uh, a clip of it, and she's in a little too revealing of a dress for me to want to play in a worship service, but uh, she is talking with someone at a bar, and Sky says perhaps she has the best reason that people Twitter. I thought, really, that's probably 20 years ago. That's got to be pre-Twitter, right? I mean, I don't know how long it's been out. Not, maybe not pre-Facebook, but it's been out a while. She said in, in this conversation to this man, that ultimately everyone wants a witness. Everyone wants somebody that can say what you have done, how well or where you have been or, or anything that can attest to your life. And Sky says that is the fuel, he thinks, that's behind the success of Twitter, Facebook, and several other uh, social medias that we are able to tell others about what we have done or what we have seen. I mean, don't raise your hand. And I don't know if you can do this on Twitter because that shows you my... I'm guessing it is a stripped-down version of Facebook. Is that, is that close? Not even close? No? Can you chat on it? Yeah, can you share stuff with people? Okay, can you take pictures and share pictures? So that connects with me to Facebook. So I, I'm going to argue back and forth. But yeah, I, I know. Those of you... <laughs> So, can I sell cars on it? That's the only reason I like Facebook, because I like Marketplace, but yeah. In any event, I, I want to read a little bit of what Sky says. He says, we all want our lives to matter. Amen? Yeah. Most believe, and, and please, don't. I'm not trying to hook any of you. He said, most believe that the only way they can matter is to be noticed by someone. We want someone, anyone, to take notice and to care about us. And to watch us and to say, you matter, your life counts. 
He said, perhaps the most significant reason I don't Twitter is because I already have a witness for my life. And ultimately, he said, the need to have a witness is a spiritual lacking. Because if you have a relationship with Christ Jesus, you have a witness. And here I'll read his quote that I thought was perfect. He said, I believe in God's sovereignty that there is not a single thought, feeling, or moment that is lost. There is nothing that is unseen or unrecorded. God is indeed with me and witnessing every thought and reflection. My ideas are not lost and my life really does matter, not because someone read it, heard it, saw it, or tweeted it, but because God is my witness. In our text today, Jesus asks, can I get a witness? We pick up where we left off in verse 31, or chapter 5, verse 31. Uh, Jesus is continuing to explain who he is to those who have been persecuting him. You know, setting you back up, those of you who have been paying attention. In fact, wave your Bible if you brought your Bible in here today. And don't wave your cell phone. <laughs> in fact, I, I think I said this a few weeks ago, you know. You should put the, the hymn rack, use your cell phone in there, and take, if you didn't bring a Bible, take the one that's in the pew, and I know it's probably King James, but we can talk about that as well, uh, you know, because there's a couple of King James things I'll pull out today. But uh, we need to really uh, be looking at what God is saying to us. So he has told us in chapter 5 earlier, um, well, he should reveal to himself, wants it to us who he is by uh, causing this man who's been paralyzed, you know, for a number of years, sitting by this pool at Bethesda and wanting to get healed. And Jesus heals him, tells him to get up, take your mat and go. And he does that. And immediately the religious leaders, the Jews of the day, uh, saw that this man was breaking the Sabbath. He told Jesus or told him that he was breaking the Sabbath. The, the man said, well, Jesus did this after he figured out who had done it to him. And now in the leading tech stuff that we had last week, they have pursued, they have sought ways to kill Jesus. So now at about verse 17 or 19 of chapter 5, Jesus has been explaining who he is. And today, he says, can I get a witness? And I asked uh, those in my office earlier today, if I say, can I get a witness, depending on how old you are, you might think of Marvin Gaye, who wrote a song, or ha actually performed a song, Can I Get a Witness, from Motown. Um, some of you who don't even know who Marvin Gaye is. Somebody know who the Rolling Stones are? They sang the same song in a different version. Um, but, and, and then those of us who remember Grand Funk Railroad, uh, Dennis does, yeah, I knew you would know that. <clears throat> I think it's the song, Some Kind of Wonderful. Uh -huh. Can I get a witness? Anyway, but that's a chorus in that song. So uh, it has a lot to do with rock and roll, for those of you who don't want me to preach on rock and roll. But guess where they got it? They got it from the church. That's where Marvin Gaye got it, from the black uh, Baptists and black churches that he was raised in. In fact, how many of you here have ever been in a church service where the preacher said, or someone said, can I get a witness? Amen. There you go. And that is the response or raise your hand or say something. Sometimes a preacher's struggling <laughs> as I have struggled from week to week. And he'll say, can I get a witness to what he is attesting to? And yay, amen, or preach it brother, or help him Lord, or something to that effect. So Jesus is saying, can I get a witness? And that's where we begin today. 
congregants, when they would hear that, is to get involved. So hopefully you can get involved. And then I'm going to ask you to get your Bibles and look at them. Put your little finger down there at verse 31, and that's where we're going to start at. Chapter 5 of John. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Now, how can Jesus' testimony not be valid? Verse 32, there's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given to me to finish, and which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form. Nor does the word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Let's pray. Father, as we look at some powerful words that Jesus reveals more about himself, in it, speak to us today. Help us to be a witness for Christ. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Almost every preacher that has preached from this text, I told you last week's passage, very few people have ever preached that. If you, if you search, I mean, not, not that it hasn't been, but it, out on the interweb or in uh, the books that are in my office, very few sermons from that text. This text is so easy because it works in a typical Baptist three-point sermon because in it you have the witness, you have the work, and then you have the word, so that you have that nice alliteration. And some of you know pastors who always have an alliteration. But in this very first time thing we're looking at, he says, can I get a witness? And here is what he talks about the witness. Look at verse 31. He says, I testify about myself. My testimony is not valid. Well, if you have spent any time watching Law & Order, Perry Mason, or name any of the legal TV shows... They typically don't want the accused to take the stand. I ask our resident judge in the back row there, Dory Ramos, is that a good thing or a bad thing? She said, well, when you take the stand, then they can ask you about everything you did. Now, if Jesus took the stand, there would be no problem. If Cliff took the st stand for speeding, and they ask him about other times he might have sped, Cliff may never get out of the courtroom. He might be handcuffed and taken away. So I, 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 she said that's, that's pretty accurate. You don't really want to take the stand if you don't have to. In Jesus' day, in Jewish court, you could not take the stand. It was forbidden for someone to testify about themselves. So that's what that is actually saying. I testify about myself, but my testimony is not valid. Not that it's untrue, it's that you won't accept that. Then he says, there is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. John the Baptist, then, is the first witness that he will call forward to describe who he is. 
In verses 32 through 35, he explains to his, excuser, his accusers that John testified who I am. So if you have your Bible, sit your finger there in chapter 5 and go back to chapter 1. If you recall, John beginning, you know, he's the one proclaiming in the wilderness. And they, in chapter 1, verse 19, they being the religious leaders, go to see John. Verse 19, now this was John's testimony, I'm in chapter 1, when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us the answer so we can take it back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied, I am in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, made straight the way for the Lord. Now, some Pharisees who had been sent questioning him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. And then verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man is coming after me who surpasses me because he was before me. Wow. He is thrown right back. Think about this. And I got the judge back there. Judge, what, what if the people who are accusing you of something say, well, we don't believe you. Well, yeah, but you asked this other person for testimony and the testimony they, he gave, you accepted as true. So he is pushed back to his accusers, listen to what John said about me. I am the one that was promised. I am the Messiah. The one that scripture said someday one would come, a savior for his people. And what strikes me in my heart, even when he is facing those who are ready to kill him. Verse 18, remember chapter 5. For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So they're furious about that. They want to kill him. But you come down here to verse 34. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. Even though he knew they were trying to kill him, his mindset is that of the Messiah. I want you to be saved. John calls, or Jesus calls John his witness. The Greek word is marteio, martyr. That's where we get our English word, martyr. 33 times that word is used in the Gospel of John. And it's amazing to me, from Jesus' time, it went to witness, someone who would testify, someone who would state something that was true, someone who would say a personal experience, to the word who, what is a martyr? Someone who has died for what they believe or what they stood up for. Interesting foreshadowing there. Jesus found a witness in John. I ask you this morning, will he find a witness in you? The problem with witnesses is that they're unreliable. My mom and sister often tell me, if there's ever an accident or a crime committed, don't ask us to testify. And why? Because they can't remember or they will change their story. And that's the problem with many witnesses. They can't remember. They get convinced of something other than what they saw. Could be the policeman asking them questions. Nothing against the policeman. But you get asking me a certain questions when, oh, oh, I guess that's the way it was. 
They forget the details. They change their story. They get influenced by others, and they keep their mouths shut to avoid being brought in or involved. When I was a young man, I mean, I'm like sub-teen years. My dad and I were in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and he saw an accident getting ready to happen. He's a, he's a state policeman, and he saw this person running a light, and they hit another car. And he goes, shut your eyes. I said, why? Because because you'll be a witness. <laughs> And he got out, and I remember helped the lady. But it was, and it was a Volkswagen. You know, I got car stories that last as long as you can. He, the lady hit that. The, the lady that hit the other lady when she hit it. That whole fender. You know how old bugs had that big arch. That whole fender went off like that. I'd never seen anything like that. But I know. Side note: squirrel. <laughs> Have you been influenced by an unreliable witness in your life? When is the last time that you told someone about the truth of Jesus? Or have you chosen to not to get involved? How can we be a witness? How can we claim to know who he is? How can we become reliable? By proclaiming every day the good news of Jesus. Don't let other people influence you to say that something better than the Messiah. Don't keep your mouth shut or become apathetical about the love of Jesus and how he wants you to share it with other people. Witness. Second thing I would like to have you look at is works. And that's always a tough one for Baptists. Oh, works, what do you mean? Well, let's look at verses 36 through 37. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form. Jesus tells us that his father's works should testify for who he is and the purpose that he has come for. Witness the works of Jesus in this gospel up to now, up to the fifth chapter we're in. He's turned water to wine. Remember I called this royal guy Basil because his name is Basilica in the Greek word. He caused... He, he healed that young man, Basil's son, even when he wasn't present with him. He healed this paralyzed man that was waiting to be taken to the waters, you know, and get a healing from there. And in the next six chapters, he will do stuff like feed the 5,000, walk on water, cause other uh, blind people to see, and even bring his friend Lazarus back from the grave in just by up to ver uh, chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. Jesus told us, in verse 17 of this chapter, that he was busy doing the Father's work. Just as the Father is always at work, he is at work with him. And that that work would eventually lead to the cross. And that redeeming work on the cross allows you and me to have access to him. To be in a relationship with the Father. What a beautiful thing that is. Once you believe in the witness of Jesus, you can be called to to be his witness to others. And as you testify to his work, you find yourself working for him. And as the old saying goes, I always look at Wade. Wade, do you really love working on the Freon stuff? Because if you find what you love to do, it's never a day of work, right? But if I get you up on that mandolin, because he says he, how he loves Sundays... Would you do that every day if you could? Every day. every day, every day. So that's the beauty, young people. If you can find what you really love to do and get paid for it, you'll never be working. You'll just be having fun, right? 
Very good. And in the meantime, you may have to work on some refrigerators, or you may have to mow a yard, or you may have to go to law school, or you may have to go to dental school, or you may have to do a lot of things. I got your eyes, Kayla. Do you love doing what you do on them teeth? Or you enjoy it? Yeah. There's probably some things you, yeah, I know. So where I'm drawn from this is I, I reacquainted myself this week with uh, Tom Sawyer. And uh, Twain says, work consists of whatever a body is obliged to do. Play consists of whatever a body is not obliged to do. And I will tell you that God's work is not play, but when you understand the magnitude of his work and the trust he places in you to be involved in his work, it brings a joy to your life serving the Lord. And unlike the movie, we do not pay uh, to do his work. He's paid the price for us. We see in him the witness, the work, and the word that he tells us that we are to labor for the Messiah. And that's the final point, word. Jesus is making the case with his witnesses, with his work, and now the very scriptures that the Jews prided themselves in knowing. Rabbis taught at the time that life was found in the scripture. And by that they meant in this side of heaven, that they would live better lives by knowing the word and that somehow in eternity they would have a better setting by knowing the word. And Jesus is saying, let's look at that again. We're now at about uh, 39. You diligently, well, let me back up to 38. Nor does the word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In verse 38, he tells us that studying the word itself, you missed the boat. You didn't realize that I am the one that the scriptures are to testify about. John 1.1. Let me go back, and that's why I love you to keep building as you understand. that This is a wonderful book that just keeps building upon itself. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. From the very beginning, Jesus is basically saying, I am the Word of God. And as we define that when I preached that, I don't know how many months ago, that the Word of God is Jesus, and as you want to explain it and break it down, the Word of God as we see it in the text is the very essence of God. He is God. We use the term incarnate Word, the Word in the flesh, not just the university here in town. It is God alive in the flesh, and he says, I am the Word, and you have studied the Word and not seen who I am, but I have come now as the fulfillment of those words. King James, I think, is the one that says, interprets it a little bit differently. Somebody who has King James, I think it says something like, search ye the scriptures. Anybody holding a King James? Search the scriptures. It's an impair... And there's why I wanted to mention that. It, it, they use that word that we translate search as an imperative. But more than... So, and as try to find it. But the better translation, I believe, is what we have here. You have searched. In other words, you've done these things, and, and Jesus is testifying to the truth of it, that, yeah, you've studied the Scriptures, but you still haven't recognized who I am. So they went from imperative to an indicative tense, if those of you who are big Greek scholars. He's basically telling us, I'm the one who got the Word written. I'm the one who helped inspire it. I know the Word. 
And this week I was reading uh, preacher stories that, you know, I always tell you when a preacher story is a true story or not. This one I'm going to credit to Matt Woodley. He is the uh, a pastor in Wheaton, Illinois. He's also the editor of uh, Preaching uh, Today. He tells a story, he said it happened years ago, and, and he doesn't say it was at a Baptist, Bab, Baptist softball uh, group or not. But those, anybody ever played Baptist church leagues? Did they get ever contentious? I mean, you know, if you're playing a game, somebody's going to get upset. Not at all, never, never, never. And in this particular game, he said that uh, the ump called uh, a particular play that incensed his, uh, his coach, the coach. And, you know, just like, you know, something you'd see in the pros, the coach runs out to the ump and is telling him, you know, hey, you are misinterpreting the rule. And he didn't say what the rule was. I, I have no idea what it was. And he's on and on. You're misinterpreting the rules. You're misinterpreting the rules. You're misinterpreting the rules. And finally, the ump says, according to chapter 9, paragraph 33, line 6, it says this is the way. And the guy said, well, it, it, the coach says, well, it's just the way you're interpreting. He said, you, you can't believe that that's the way it was meant. And the guy says, I'm the one who wrote the rule book. <laughs> this is the way it is. And Jesus is saying, I am the one who wrote the book. I am the living word of God. And there are scriptures that will testify to me. And throughout his ministry, we'll see that Jesus is the fulfillment of scriptures. Just in the gospel of John alone, we see in John 12, him riding on the donkey into Jerusalem, and that being a fulfillment of Scripture. We see it in John 18 at his arrest, another testimony that it's a fulfillment of Scripture. In John 19, we see that they're gambling for his robe, and with that, again, is another fulfillment of Scripture. Also in verse 19, at his crucifixion, there is no bone broken, and his side was pierced. Once again, fulfillment of Scripture. So many times, people look at the Word and need the help to see what Jesus is saying, and we can do that by being his witnesses. Pull these things out, help people see who Jesus really is. But when you are able to point someone in a confused world, in a dark world, where it is you go to find the Messiah, what a wonderful witness you have become. You have been his witness, you have been his works, and you are testifying to his word. It's an amazingly simple thing when you will testify and be a witness for Jesus. Be that one who points to him today. Would you stand? Fathers, we come now to a time of invitation. Many of us at times in our lives have been the unreliable witness. We've let the world influence us. We have kept our mouth shut. We have changed the story. But today, I pray that we would speak the truth. And Father, that we would communicate the works that you have done through the Son in our salvation, in our lives, when we can credit so many things that we have been through, dark times that you have brought us through, that your work is still going on, and that as witnesses of yours, we can be involved in that work. And finally, Lord, if we will study your word, how much more it will open our eyes for the beauty of who Jesus is. And by learning it, we can communicate it to others in our world who are often confused about what the Bible says. Not that we all become theologians, but we've all become pointers to you, those who would point back 
and show who Christ Jesus is to this world that even in his own day did not accept him. But Lord, today I pray that we might offer up this opportunity to profess faith in the Savior of the world. If there's someone here today, Lord, that's never accepted Jesus as their Savior, we're pointing to you right now as the Savior. Let them confess their sin and profess their faith in him, acknowledging that only through Christ can we have life everlasting. Or Lord, if there's someone who just wants to come to these steps and pray, we'll have members of our prayer team here ready to pray with them. Let your spirit move, for we ask all this in Jesus' name.